liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe He worked for Young Americans for Liberty for a few years and was a very dedicated person to the cause. Uh, for those that don't know, Young Americans for Liberty was essentially the Ron Paul revolution, but taken to the school and the collegiate level where they were trying to spread that message to those people. And they were extremely successful at it. Unfortunately, there has been some infiltrators over the past few years that have kind of derailed them from that mission. So we dive into that. If you're not interested in that, that's okay. He and I talk more broadly about the problems we face on a global scale and as well as, you know, why we fight. And I think that that's, that's the real message here. So if you're interested in what happened with Young Americans for Liberty, check out the first half. If you are only interested in some fiery liberty shit talking, uh, check out the second half. You'll enjoy it either way. And if you are sick of having your job jeopardized because you believe in bodily autonomy if you are sick of not getting paid what you're worth please do me a favor go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt newsletter it is a free email that you get every day just a couple minute read that'll make you a better job applicant stop getting treated like a slave it's free what's the excuse Go to crash.co forward slash daily, sign up for the daily job hunt, get on that career path that'll change your life and do it now. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Today I have on Reed Cooley. He was, uh, well, actually, I'm going to let you tell people your your background, see see how you want to frame it. Oh, well, uh, thanks for having me, Clint. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, my name is Reed Cooley. I, I've been involved with the Liberty Movement for about uh, seven years now, going all the way back to my time as an undergraduate student uh, at Baylor University uh, at Waco, Texas. About 2014, 2015, uh, the writings of a guy named Ron Paul uh, pretty much just completely turned my life upside down. Um, I was actually a college Democrat whenever I first got involved in the, in the political scene years ago. It seems like ancient history go right out a decade or so. Uh, but I just said, you know, um, Liberty started to make more and more sense to me. The more that I started, you know, meeting friends who had, you know, who had libertarian ideas, or maybe they were like conservatarians or maybe ANCAPs or whatever else, it just started to make more and more sense to me. So uh, that was sort of the beginning of my character arc uh, from, uh, from, you know, young sort of a center leftist into the, the libertarian, uh, you know, uh, Ron Paul supporter that you see today. Um, I, but I, I didn't go into politics as a career originally. So Whenever I was a, a college activist at Baylor um, do, doing just work with Young Americans for Liberty there on the campus, I was actually a double major in anthropology and history, uh, focusing on archaeology. I began my career as an archaeologist. I did some projects really around the world, uh, one in Italy, a couple of Texas, did a lot of research-related projects as well. Uh, then I just decided that uh, I wanted to do something a lot more profound and important to the everyday world than digging up old people and their garbage, basically. So now I basically just dig up people's garbage in politics. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of similarity between archaeology and politics in that respect, but not really much else. Uh, but uh, I know in all seriousness, I decided that I wanted to get involved uh, with the fight for liberty just because it was something that I, I had discovered. Uh, it was something that was very important to me. So 
after after a good stint, uh, you know, as a, as a career archaeologist, I got in touch with some people at Young Americans for Liberty and said, hey, look, I want to I want to get to work. Uh, put me on some campaigns, put me on something. Uh, so I started off doing some campaign work uh, sort of in and around the Young Americans for Liberty sphere uh, for different candidates across the country running for different kinds of office, whether it's mayor or state rep or a couple of congressional campaigns as well. Uh, and uh, made my way from that all the way to vice president of communications at Yale, uh, built the company's first ever communications department. And uh, I think we'll probably just uh, save the rest for the rest of the show here, Clint. Yeah, yeah. This is where it gets a uh, little little dirtier, maybe maybe more interesting if you're that type of person. But for me, much sadder, to be honest, because, yeah. um, you know, I, and I'm, I'm involved for the same reason you are, which is why we get along so well, is that, you know, the, the Ron Paul revolution was what basically made me who I am. And it's been heartbreaking to see it kind of be abandoned, to be besmirched, to be uh, painted as some sort of racist legacy that we must run from as libertarians, which is completely absurd in my view. And and it's been extremely frustrating for me to have the kind of fakertarian folks that that talk about <laughs> the Ron Paul newsletters yeah. and try and try and pretend as if everything he was was about was was race, which is I, I never got a sense of ever from anything no. he ever wrote or said or did. And it's just complete nonsense. So uh, the reason I got involved with podcasting is because I wanted to carry on his legacy and talk about the things that mattered and, and kind of breathe life back into the the liberty sphere because I felt as if it was flailing and and basically letting us down. And, and Yell, in my opinion, was doing an amazing job at that. You know, they were really carrying on his legacy right. in a way that I could, I could feel proud of. Um, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, how did they get off track? What, is, what has occurred that I think the audience should be aware of to be at least concerned about? Well, um, I think in order to, to really contextualize the story and talk about why it's important, we need to understand you know, Young Americans for Liberty's origin. And it's exactly what you just alluded to. So um, Young Americans for Liberty, Yao, was originally founded as Students for Ron Paul uh, in 2008, right? Uh, you know, so, I mean, this is a student organization that was pretty much born as Ron Paul's student wing. Um, you know, so it started, it started off as Students for Ron Paul uh, before broadening its name out to Young Americans for Liberty uh, later. But uh, the, the current trouble really begins in January of 2021. Uh, so Yao had a change in leadership uh, due to some allegations of misconduct uh, pertaining to a now former CEO of the company. Um, it was a few months later uh, that the board of directors hired Lauren Doherty to fill the vacant uh, CEO position. Now, Lauren Doherty, uh, she is the former interim executive director of the Libertarian Party. And from day one, it really just seemed abundantly clear that she had every intention of taking Young Americans for Liberty's brand into just what seemed like a, a, just a hideous admixture of wokeism and neoconservatism. That is to say something very similar to the direction of her Libertarian Party under the leadership of, let's say, Nick Sarwark. Um, so as you can imagine, um, my I was put into a pretty difficult position um, whenever Lauren came into the company, because I had been at the company for years, I was pretty much entrenched management at that point. Um, and my, my goal uh, and my role there was to defend the brand, to defend the integrity of the mission, to make sure the Young Americans for Liberty stayed true to its Ron Paul roots, because 
Well, you know, first off, just because that's, that's what the company was founded to do. Anything less than that is appalling, in my opinion. Uh, and secondly, if my communications team under my purview lost sight of, 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 the, of the company's mission, that would reflect in the content that was being produced every single day. So it was just absolutely important, both from a, a moral standpoint and from a practical standpoint, that my team and I keep a very, very uh, tight pulse. On, on the Ron Paul movement, and that we make sure we, we take very aggressive effort to make sure that the company is staying um, true to its roots, right? But I was put in a difficult position, sort of being, you know, one of the guardians of, of, of the company's brand, of the company's mission, whenever a new CEO came on board um, who had a, a very, very different vision for where the company uh, should be going. Mm -hmm. So, um, as vice president of communications, the entire uh, comms and marketing apparatus that you see today, everything from social media to TV, radio, podcasts, op-eds, press releases, targeted ads, all of that stuff, that was under my purview. And those were systems that I built out over a period of three and a half, four years uh, while I was at Young Americans for Liberty. It took a very long time to do that, built the company's first ever communications department as a result and, and became the company's first ever vice president of comms. But despite that, um, my last 10 months at Young Americans for Liberty uh, were pretty, pretty difficult because they were focused just almost entirely on trying to fight Lauren Doherty from within, on trying to make sure that, that Lauren's efforts to twist the Young Americans for Liberty's brand did not, you were not successful. Um, unfortunately, 10 months of those creative differences culminated in the events of earlier this month. Um, so I had contacted the board of directors back in January with all of my complaints about how Lauren Doherty was mismanaging the brand, what sorts of administrative errors were happening along the way on her part. Uh, but for the most part, my complaints were oriented around, you know, the, just the, the profound ideological differences between Lauren Doherty and, and, and the Ron Paul brand, right? Um, so whenever I, I got off that Zoom call back in January and uh, the chairman of the board, uh, Jeff Razy, uh, he's also the founder of the company, told me that uh, he appreciated it, that he would talk with the rest of the board uh, and with HR, they would do an investigation and get back in touch with me. Um, the very next, uh, very next conversation uh, I had with the board was to notify me on February 7th that they had chosen to terminate me uh, over nothing more than my creative differences with Lauren. Uh, the, the word, the language that was used was unwillingness to follow Lauren's directives. But as the world has started to see bit by bit over the last several weeks, it was an unwillingness to follow directives that would have required me to contradict the company's mission, right? So I was put into an ethical dilemma. Um, my last 10, 11 months at Yale, just having to pick between my loyalty to you know, Lauren Doherty and my loyalty to Ron Paul. Um, and, you know, I, I don't regret, you know, the decision that I made to, to really make sure uh, to go out on a limb and fight, you know, this, this takeover of Young Americans for Liberty. But the board of directors terminated me over my creative differences with Lauren, even though I had been there for years and she was new and she was quite clearly out of line with the company's mission. Um, a few hours later, um, Yal announced that they hired a fellow named Brendan Steinhauser. Uh, they had added him to Yal's leadership team as chief strategy officer. 
Um, this was just hours after I was terminated. Um, I had a, I have a really good reputation um, across the movement. Now, for the most part, I'm sure there are some folks who absolutely hate me, and that's okay. Um, but um, you know, this Steinhauser fellow being hired at just hours after I was let go, um, that signaled a lot because Brendan Steinhauser um, actually served as Dan Crenshaw's campaign manager. Um, and he didn't just serve as Dan Crenshaw's campaign manager. In 2018, he also wrote a glowing blog praising Dan Crenshaw uh, for things like his courage or his leadership or whatever else. Um, so that was that's worrisome enough. But in more recent months, this uh, Brendan Steinhauser fellow uh, has he's really shown his true colors on social media on issues on issues like foreign policy in particular. So it was in August of 2021. He came out on Twitter as against the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, and starting in December, he came out numerous times in favor of military action uh, against Russia over the continuing Ukraine crisis. You can go to his Twitter page uh, now uh, and, and you can still see these tweets where, I mean, this is, just, this is clearly just pro-war content uh, that's coming from the new chief strategy officer of Yao, who I presume is some sort of replacement, at least in part, uh, for me. Uh, he was brought in just hours after I was and all this other kind of stuff. Um, so you can find his tweets uh, at bstein80. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty much you know how things have blown up. So whenever the, the, the board of directors terminated me, and this is the same day they brought in Brendan Steinhauser, they offered me a substantial financial settlement uh, to keep my mouth shut, basically, and to not basically to waive all of my complaints that, that I had with Yelp. Um, I evaluated this um, and I, you know, I thought about it for all of two seconds. And I said, you know what? There, there's no way that I'm just going to let these people completely destroy young Americans for liberty and get away with it without an ounce of criticism. So uh, I declined the financial settlement uh, from Yelp because I wanted to be able to speak openly about what is happening to an organization. Uh, that I love. Um, to put it bluntly, the woke war machine has taken over students for Ron Paul. Um, I also call it Raytheon with rainbows. And oh, that might be kind of interesting to, to some people in your audience, Raytheon with rainbows. So getting back to that, we're talking about wokeism and neoconservatism sort of fused into one really hideous ideology. Uh, some people have described it as though Lauren Doherty is trying to play both sides of the culture war. Maybe that's one way of properly conceptualizing it. But um, in order to in order to basically show the world what is happening at Young Americans for Liberty and what my communications team and I have had to deal with over the last ten months, uh, there have been some some screenshots that have leaked, um, you know, from uh, from from Lauren Doherty uh, to my private cell phone. And I've also just you know, gone on the record explaining, uh, you know, a lot of the kinds of serious creative issues that have happened uh, between uh, Lauren and myself uh, and other members of the YAL staff as well, just ever since she came in and took the CEO position. Uh, so Tho Bishop, TJ Roberts, uh, Natalie Dan Ellison, uh, these are people who have who have who have shared a lot of this content, just basically showing. Uh, the world, what's going on. This has captured the attention of people like James Lindsay, uh, you know, the New York Times bestselling author who goes on the Joe Rogan show like every every now and again. Uh, and Mike Cernovich. Come again? 
<laughs> I said, and Liberty Lights. I had James on last month. It was great. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So James Lindsay, uh, this caught his attention. This caught Mike Cernovich's attention, Luke Rutkowski's attention. So it's already started to break out of other circles. And I've been on a lot of shows just to try and explain uh, what's going on. Um, I'll say that uh, the, the biggest question that I have been asked ever since everything blew up is whether Young Americans for Liberty is salvageable. Or maybe people will ask me in a different way, what is it going to take to save Young Americans for Liberty? Um, in my opinion, uh, the poison has set in too deep inside that organization. And uh, that that's something that I have dreaded for months and months now. It's something that I have had a lot of private conversations with people about outside the organization for months and months now that I've just, I'm afraid that the poison that, that Lauren Doherty and other key members of, let's say, the board of directors have brought in, it's already set in too deep. And that this is no longer a problem inside of Young Americans for Liberty that the company can simply fire its way out of. Um, so it has been widely observed that since Lauren Doherty came on board, she has been bringing in her friends from the LP uh, to come in and take on leadership positions uh, you know, where they're either running departments or they're going to be running departments very soon. So people who already think like Lauren, who have these sort of, uh, who have the, the, str the strong loyalty to the LNC, to the sort of Joe Bishop, Henchman, Nick Sarwark caucus, those people have already been plugged into, uh, into either high-ranking junior staff positions or into, into positions where they're getting to run entire departments. So you have a CEO who's just completely unaligned. You have uh, you know, key staffers spread across the organization who she has plugged in in order to, in order to shift the organization to, in her direction. And the board of directors, the, you know, really the, the one institution in the entire company that is there to keep the CEO in check. Uh, and it, it's virtually unaccountable. It, it's so difficult to get rid of a member of the board of directors, much less an entire member of the board of directors. But, uh, you know, the board of directors is just is full of this corruption as well. So it was actually the board of directors that made the decision to terminate me. Uh, just trying to defend Lauren. They, they chose Lauren's vision for the company as opposed to the original uh, vision for the company. And uh, it was uh, one member of the board of directors. It has come out in recent weeks that uh, this individual actually donated to Julie Oliver in 2019. Now, Julie Oliver is a Bernie Sanders endorsed Democrat congressional candidate running on a platform of Medicare for All. And in 2019, a member of the YAL Board of Directors, there's only three members of YAL, YAL's Board of Directors, a member of YAL's Board of Directors actually donated to that person's campaign. And it is widely believed among the YAL staff and others that it was this board member who handpicked Lauren for the CEO role. Um, so when you talk about where the corruption, where the infiltration really resides, it's not just limited to, to Lauren Doherty. Uh, this isn't a situation where the company terminates Lauren Doherty and, and suddenly things get better. You have, in my opinion, if, if that were to be done, the, they, would, they would just be rolling the dice and they might wind up with someone just as bad as Lauren Doherty, if not much worse. Um, so you have Lauren Doherty, who's clearly unaligned. You have you know, high-ranking junior staffers, um, 
who are either going into executive positions or will be eventually, um, you know, and they're, they're basically little Lauren's, uh, Lauren's acolytes spread across the org. And you have the board of directors, which is going to, to back Lauren tooth and nail. And for all we know, um, the direction in which Lauren is taking the company, the sort of Nick Sarwark direction could be exactly what the board of directors has wanted the whole time. So this Seems isn't a situation if. that you just fire your way out of. Yeah. Well, that's heartbreaking to hear, man. <laughs> just be be honest about it. It's it is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, let me start by commending you. I mean, not taking a, a, a essentially a, a bribe to stay silent says a lot about your character, and I really appreciate it. So let me let me start Thank there. Um, man, well that I I I I've obviously my follow up question was going to be how do we fix this? How do we reform it? It seems as if you've already dealt with that question, so we're we're moving past that as well. The board itself, obviously, it, it can be replaced to, to some extent. What? How is it that for twelve years this this organization was ran, you know, in line with Ron Paul's belief system? And and when did this when did these board members come in? Do you know? Uh, yes. So um, there are three current members of the board. Um, one of them is uh, the founder of the company and the chairman of the board. His name is Jeff Frazee. Um, he's an OG Ron Pauler who goes all the way back to 2008. But in my opinion, Mr. Frazee has been unplugged from, from what's happening to the Liberty Movement for a very, very long time. He's out of touch with what is going on. He see, and, and As long as I ever dealt with Mr. Frazee, he just seemed to be apathetic to every concern I was bringing to him. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in my opinion, he had a lot of these sort of these really squishy uh, leanings as well, believe it or not, coming from someone who was involved with, uh, with, 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 with the OG Ron Paul campaign. Right. Uh, the other That's stunning, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, I agree. And, uh, you know, the reason I took my complaints, you know, with Lauren to Mr. Frazee back in January was because I thought to myself, okay, I don't have a whole lot of hope that this person cares, but there's always the chance that the, that the Ron Pauler inside of him could be woken up again. Um, and maybe he'll come to his senses and maybe he'll realize, okay, he has made a very bad decision with the CEO. The CEO is destroying his company. He has to do something. And, and he didn't. Instead, he chose to retaliate against me. Um, the other two members of the board of directors are both new. I don't want to mention them by name, but uh, one of them uh, was added no more than three years ago. Um, and that, that individual just so happens to be a major donor uh, to the company as well. And uh, that is the individual I described several minutes ago who donated to Julie Oliver's uh, 2019 uh, congressional campaign, you know, the Democrat who was endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Um, the, the last member of the board of directors was added only a matter of months ago. Um, she's the, she's the member of the board of directors with which, with, with whom I've had the, the, the most seldom interaction. Okay. Um, so whenever you look at the board, it's three people and two of them, one of them is very new. Uh, and the other one is no more, has been there no more than three years. So he's also relatively new as well. So when, when we look at the, at the makeup of the board, we're not generally talking about people who have been involved with the Ron Paul movement. They may have been involved in, you know, somewhere in the Liberty movement, you know, spread somewhere else um, in, in, you know, kind of tangential to it. But when you look at the board of directors at Young Americans for Liberty today, 
you're simply not talking about people who were, were there whenever Ron Paul, uh, you, know, you know, sparked the revolution a long time ago. Um, you're, you're talking about people who seem to have come along since then. Right. Yeah. Um, there's 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 one thing I want to address about about the, the most recent the question you said you wanted to ask. And that's where we go from here. Um, I think that uh, how we save young Americans for liberty is we carry it somewhere else. We carry what Young Americans for Liberty was always supposed to be, all of the best parts of it, to other institutions, um, to other places where the Ron Paul Revolution will be welcome. Uh, I believe that uh, now might actually be a great opportunity for us to sort of decentralize, uh, you know, the mission of Young Americans for Liberty, so to speak. Uh, carry, you know, carry, uh, carry that flame as many other places as we can. I think that that's going to require uh, that we. To an extent, we're probably going to have to build new things, you know, where, where the mission of Young Americans for Liberty or what it was supposed to have been, uh, you know, where, where that can thrive, where it can be successful um, and where people can 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 actually fight for liberty um, and do so in a way that just so happens to pay the bills. Um, yeah, I think that cool. uh, I think there, there's what this is exposing is a huge demand uh, for that, if nothing else. Yeah, well. I hate to put anything more on your shoulders because it sounds like you've carried a lot of weight over the past year or so, but uh, you seem like a top candidate for for doing that if you're if you're so inclined. Uh, I don't have any of the institutional understanding uh, of how these organizations work. I'm really just a lone wolf entrepreneur type. I I've never ran orgs. You know, I've never actually had that type of of job title. So. I hope that you or someone of your character is willing to to take on that task. It, it's desperately needed, no doubt. I, I can't help but notice the the comparisons and and analogize this to the Mises Caucus takeover of the Libertarian Party. This is exactly the same fight that we had, and it seems as if yep. we are prevailing in that. Is that we are getting rid of or at least subduing the people that hate Ron Paul and his legacy, and we are taking it over with a bunch of people that love Ron Paul and his legacy, which is, I think, logical. And that ult ultimately makes sense for what the Libertarian Party ought to be. So I I guess I, I'm not as pessimistic simply because I've now witnessed that. It's something I didn't think possible. I didn't think it was really possible to reform the Libertarian Party. And I am now part of it and witnessing it firsthand. I was at the Florida State Convention where uh, I got to get up and argue passionately in in favor of secession, and then the people voted on it. And and I, I'm not just me. I mean, I'm talking ten or twelve different incredible, beautiful speeches from people where they were arguing in favor of secession for the state of Florida, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Awesome. It was it was the most uh, beautiful, optimistic feeling in a political environment I have had since the Ron Paul years. So. I don't want people to to give up. Just know that right. you know the the Mises Caucus is is still basically the Ron Paul movement. So if you're interested, I would encourage people to check that out. But as for Yell and the more um, bipartisan or or nonpartisan pushing of the libertarian message and ideology and belief system, uh, I think it's really an important role to have because they were obviously willing to endorse Republican candidates. I don't know if you guys ever endorsed a Democrat candidate, but they're 
so crazy that wouldn't surprise me if you didn't. Uh, did, did you guys? I don't even know. Uh, not to my knowledge. I don't. I don't think that happened. Uh, if if that did happen, it's something that would stun even me. I don't. I don't know every <laughs> single candidate that was endorsed along the way, but I don't. I don't recall any Democrats. I know okay. there were Republicans, obviously uh, Libertarians. Uh, and independence, but I don't know about any Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, like I said, that doesn't surprise me. The the Democrats have basically lost their minds. So uh, <laughs> I I only have any any similarities at this point between Republican candidates, independent, and libertarians. So that makes sense. All right. Well, I, I think that we we understand the issue. It, it's uh, as I've said, it is heartbreaking. It's it's interesting to me that that Mr. Frazy you know, regardless of his apathy and, and certainly as people get up there in age, maybe he just kind of gave up on, on what his goals had been early on, or, or maybe it's something else. I'm obviously, I'm not trying to read his mind. I just think it's interesting that, that someone like him, if he didn't have the fire to continue in the fight to bring in neoliberals, which is essentially what you're describing, you know, the tying of neoconservatism with wokeness is essentially what neoliberalism is, which is, uh, anathema to Ron Paulism. I mean, it's it's yep. complete inverse of anything that we would ever espouse or believe or support. It doesn't make sense to me. Like I don't understand. Like if I was that guy and I was in that position and I was moving on with my life, I would certainly step aside and I would try and appoint someone that that shared my value system. Is there any chance that we can reach out to him and say, "Hey, man, like this is not." This is going to uh, like my personal opinion. Like, yeah, will will perish under this type of leadership because you will end up having a libertarian party that we had over the past decade, where any true libertarian, not any but many, uh, abandoned it because they realized that it was being ran by lunatics. So I think that's probably the fate for Yell too, unless they course correct like immediately. Well, um, you know, here here's a question worth asking uh, about that. Um, to me, the best case scenario seems to be one in which Young Americans for Liberty um, course corrects here, but they do so not because they feel compelled morally to do so. They do so in order to save their own skins. They do so yeah. for the worst possible reason. And you have to ask yourself, is such an organization worth really trying to save? Uh, is an organization that only pays lip service to Ron Paul whenever it's time to either A, uh, you know, engage in fundraising, whenever it's time for a fundraising gimmick, or B, whenever it's time to uh, to navigate a PR crisis, is that an organization that's actually worth defending? Um, I'll leave that to your Fair audience. I'll leave, your, I'll leave that to I, your audience to try and settle. Let, um, let me just say, let me just say real quick, the only reason I'm, I'm even interested in, in trying that is simply because I know a lot of the people that work for it, I know, you know, Eric Brakey's great. I know a mm-hmm. lot of the people that have, have dedicated their time and energy to this stuff. Um, you know, they're good. They're good Ron yep. Paul folks. And I, and I hate to yep. abandon them in, in this fight, but I, I agree with you. You know, if, if it's not winnable, then it's better to take our resources and those people yes. and do it elsewhere. So, yes. So I, I completely agree. Um, I, I just I do want to emphasize there are still good Ron Paulers in that organization who have who are outnumbered and they have been made to feel just the way that I did for such a long time, like outsiders in their own organization. Just to elaborate on that best case scenario in a way that that addresses your point just now, 
It also seems that in this best case scenario, you're going to be looking at a situation where the Ron Paulers inside the organization, who are now a minority among the staff, are going to have to compromise with neoliberals, with leftists, with you know Dan Crenshaw style neocons. Yeah, on we every can't be doing that. Decision. No, on every <laughs> creative decision, on every fundraising push, on every program, on every event. So you're going to have the Ron Paul uh, faction being just that, a faction inside of the organization, yeah. as opposed to a true Northern star. Yeah, that's um, and not a that's win. something else that has we have to ask. Um, in in such a best case scenario, is that organization worth protecting? No, it's not. You're right. <laughs> it's absolutely not. I mean, the the Libertarian Party was not worth protecting or defending until the Mises Caucus came in, though. So that's that's kind of like the the swing for the for the fences type play would be a total a total takeover. And I at, at this point, because it seems as if you have neoliberals that are at the helm of power. Uh, across the board, it, it's probably not doable. So uh, I agree with you. I think that that we're probably going to have to take our efforts and our energy elsewhere and start hopefully a decentralized organization where it can't be taken over again and and kind of uh, do. Well, th this is an interesting question, not, not to get too conspiracy minded, but do you think that there's any chance that these people that were put on the board uh, are working for other political parties that are trying to to defang probably the best organization in terms of putting liber liberty-minded candidates in power? Well, in my opinion, Lauren Doherty has been a leftist infiltrator from day one. Um, right. I don't I don't think that uh, that she's like a, a secret Democrat operative or or okay. maybe an operative from, from within any political party or any other kind of entity. But um, it was my impression of Lauren Doherty really since before she took the CEO job. That, uh, that she had a lot more leftist and pro-war tendencies than she was willing to let on. And the more comfortable that she got uh, in the job, the more comfortable she felt showing her hand bit by bit by bit, you know, through mm -hmm. the Liz Cheney uh, thing that surfaced, through through her, her putting a gag order on my team uh, from attacking Kamala Harris to her anti-2A sentiment, you know, the memo that she sent out uh, condemning Thomas Massey's Christmas card, which is visible on TJ Roberts' Twitter page. Um, yeah, so I think that, uh, in my opinion, I think it's accurate to say that, that Lauren Doherty is, is some sort of leftist infiltrator. Uh, that's what I think is happening. Uh, she has a very different vision, clearly, for what the libertarian movement uh, should be embodying um, for, for what it should be representing, for what it should be trying to achieve in the world. And I think that the evidence to back up such a strong assertion, uh, it is already being made evident. It is already being made public where everybody can see it. Um, it doesn't even really feel like I'm going out on a limb to say that. It really just feels like I'm acknowledging what seems to be a basic fact uh, based on the evidence that is readily available for the world to see. Um, yeah, so seen, regardless of whether... Yeah, was just so you you have seen a lot of it. Yeah, I have, and and it's yeah, it's appalling. <laughs> like I I don't understand it. I don't understand how it's how it's happened. I mean, I'm I'm starting to understand it now, but it was it was mystifying when I was first stumbling upon it. Imagine being the person getting that on your cell phone, like like being right. <laughs> like being the vice president of comms at Yale, uh, and you're getting you're you're getting objections like that, like praising Liz Cheney or 
saying that we can't attack Kamala Harris or talking about how certain types of guns like AR-15s are too militant looking and maybe we need to use less militant kinds of, of looking guns. Um, there, were, there was another encounter. This was actually pretty recent. This was after the, the, the Thomas Massey Christmas card went out, uh, you know, and, and Lauren condemned it. Um, so my team posted an old patriotic image of three soldiers, uh, three revolutionary soldiers, like marching out onto a battlefield uh, against some redcoats, right? One of them has, is like waving a flag, one's beating a snare drum, and one's playing a flute. And the caption at the top said, the way things are looking, we might have to get the band back together. Um, I'll never forget this. Uh, Lauren Doherty contacted me individually and told me that we needed to take that down immediately because she felt like that could condone violent revolution. Oh, um, and I thought like the, the American revolution uh, is too violent for like patriotism is violence to you. Right. Um, that, that was just absolutely insane. And the worst thing about that gag order, uh, that, that particular instance of micromanaging from Lauren was that that actually prevented my team from being able to use most images of the American revolution in any piece of future content that we created. That was just absolutely soul crushing uh, to yeah. my team and I to, to come here working for Ron Paul student organization an org whose mission harkens back to the American revolution. And we can't use the majority uh, of American revolution themed imagery because we don't know if we're going to inadvertently uh, push this button, um, you know, uh, or that, that Lauren seems to have where she's hypersensitive towards, uh, towards anything that could even remotely condone political violence. Right. I'll never, I'll never forget uh, another one here. So this was uh, almost a year ago. No, actually, this was a little over a year ago. Um, my comms team was designing some merchandise, uh, and we were coordinating with a printing shop that was going to be uh, printing off these T-shirts, right? And one of them was like "End the Fed." Another, and it was just a picture of the Federal Reserve, and it said "End the Fed." Another one uh, was a picture of the Boston Tea Party, and it said "Party like it's 1776," right? It was just stuff like that. And that printing company refused to, you know, refused to print our, our T-shirts because they said that that was, it was advocating political violence. Right. And I think like fast forward, you know, just under less than a year, and we have a CEO who's doing the same exact thing that this liberal print shop uh, in California is doing to us. <laughs> uh, but, but, but it's the CEO doing it to the organization from inside. Same exact kind of objection. Same yeah. exact kind of mentality. So whenever I express my opinion that, uh, that Lauren Doherty is some sort of leftist infiltrator, like, no, like I have all the evidence in the world uh, to back up such a claim. So whether or not Lauren and these members of the board of directors are extensions of some other sort of entity, um, I'm skeptical of that. But I think that they are absolutely representations of a lot of different philosophies sure. being injected into the organization uh, in some sort of a you know, infiltrationist sense. Yeah. Well, I, I had to ask uh, just simply because, you know, you always got the the concerns about informants and, and things of that nature. So it, it was, a, it was a fair question, but I, I right. appreciate that you're, you're skeptical of it. And, and obviously I hope it's not the case. Uh, it, it ultimately, it doesn't really make a difference because if, if she's operating in this fashion and, and it's her true belief system, it, it doesn't change the right. end result. The end result is that they are defanging uh, your capacity to message in a way that is compelling and in line with the Ron Paul revolution. And and the revolution term, she probably would have 
hated <laughs> from yeah. from 14 years ago. So it's like, you know, well, you're you're just immediately you're not in line with with Ron Paul if you're going to oppose types of uh, iconography and language that that he popularized. And even if you spell it the evil backwards and you make it love, you know, whatever, it, it still it still harkens back to our founding fathers. Something that you know ultimately I I believe in, even though I'm not a uh, you know hardcore nationalist or anything. I love the founding of this country in the, right. in the sense that it overthrew tyranny. And I think that to run away from that fact is anti second amendment and it's anti liberty generally. I mean, it, the, the government that we exist under today is far more tyrannical than what we existed at from our revolutionary period. Right. So it's nonsense to, for us to, to pretend like, Oh, we can't, we can't mention that. We can't talk. We can't talk like those Trump supporting insurrectionists on January 6th. I mean, this is fucking lunacy. Like, yes, we yep. can talk like that. This is, this is what we're here to do is to be the last line of defense before complete totalitarianism is set upon us. And it's essentially here. I mean, that's, that's essentially where we're at. And I don't even think that's hyperbole to say we are right. very, very close to a dystopic, totalitarian, technocratic, fascistic, global—you know what? I could, I could keep going. Uh, well, I'll ask you: do, Are you as concerned as I am about the traje trajectory of things on on Earth? Oh, dude, one hundred percent. Actually, I was, I uh, was kind of listening to your to your uh, spiel there, like wondering, like, uh, did, did I write this somewhere in an op-ed? <laughs> uh, you know, like I was like, it, it's you sound like exactly, you know, uh, you know something, you know, I might say so. Yeah. One thing that I introduced while I was at Yale were, were like weekly reading assignments. So like I would make like my communication staff actually read a different excerpt of a different uh, piece of the libertarian philosophical tradition every week, right? It could be a component of anatomy of the state or uh, on a couple of instances, it was a piece of like common sense by Thomas Paine. Uh, just anything, you know, uh, varying from like, you know, content from around, around the American Revolution to the Austrian School of Economics to something maybe more modern that's anti-war, right? Sure. Uh, it just, it, it was a, a wide variety of things. And like in a lot of the, those kinds of book club discussions, I would use terms like we are in, we're in store for a Soviet style existence if we don't get our shit together, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, it, it was that kind of thing. So I can tell you, brother, I'm, I'm every bit uh, as concerned about those sorts of things. And what really disturbs me on a visceral level about um, the, this effort that we see to, to discredit, you know, the founding fathers and the American Revolution is, um, if, if that gets discredited, it really discredits the entire rest of our philosophy, right? If, if they can, if, if they can tear down, and I'm not, I'm not going to defend George Washington for, let's say, stuff, the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, obviously, but if they can completely tear down and discredit George Washington's character, uh, mm -hmm. or Thomas Jefferson's character, right? They can completely destroy and discredit everything that those people achieved along the way, including what Murray Rothbard called accurately a libertarian revolution that, that gave birth to this country. When we look at, at the scale of, of human history, libertarian revolutions are so incredibly rare. They do not happen very often, but we, you know, for, for all the faults of this country, and I'm extremely upset with the, upset is an understatement, I absolutely despise the, the super state, the oligarchic corporatist super state that we live under today. But the country that we live in, that's separating it from the government completely, right. the country that we live in, we're fortunate to live in because it's a country that was founded on the ethos of the American Revolution, a libertarian revolution 
something that, that not very many countries around the world uh, get to enjoy today, right? And obviously, I absolutely despise the U.S. government with absolutely every cell in my body. Uh, but uh, to me, patriotism, if we're going to sort of go down that route, means loving your country and hating your, hating your government. I hate my government so much because it's the one thing that is terrorizing my country uh, more than anything else, right? Well, so. Um, yeah, so it's just whenever I was at Yale, I really saw uh, the possibility for a continuation of the legacy of the Sons of Liberty, right? So among uh, Murray Rothbard and Thomas Jefferson um, and, and Ludwig von Mises, um, as another you know personal inspiration of mine, and that's actually Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams was able to to really spark, uh, you know, spark the the excitement and the energy um, needed for 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 the revolution uh, in and around Boston, and he did it through pretty much an unofficial sense. He had an or, an unorganized, um, so he had a, an underground, unofficial network of activists, of agitators, and and things of that nature, people of that nature. Um, called the Sons of Liberty, right? And, you know, one thing that I wanted young Americans for Liberty to become was sort of a 21st century version of that, you know, like a continuation yeah. of that kind of legacy, right? And uh, in, in, my, in my, my own sort of a journey in Liberty, I seek out, you know, uh, the people who I believe are the sons and daughters of Liberty uh, today, you know, the, the people who, who really feel it in their bones, who do feel it on a deep and visceral level. It's not just a perspective or a fad to them like liberty is a lifestyle to these people you know those are the kinds of people that i seek out there are people like that still in young americans for liberty um and you know i do think that it's on people like us to to build new places for them to go uh, if yep. that's what we're called to do i agree man uh, it just reminded me of uh one of my favorite rock bands is is called rise against and they have this yeah. line where where they say uh conspiring by candlelight or at night we're conspiring by candlelight. And I've always, whenever I've heard that line, I've always thought about the founding fathers. It's like, that's what they did. They conspired by candlelight. I mean, oftentimes it was in bars and things like that, but um, you know, to, to run away from that legacy is, is insane. I mean, it's just, yep. it's just flatly insane. And, and as always the libertarian number one principle beyond Liberty is peace. You know, we like, we want to stay peaceful. However, we have a right to self-defense. And we have yep. been aggressed upon for a very long time. And to pretend as if that's not the case is just bullshit. I mean, we are being aggressed upon daily, aggre mm -hmm. like egregiously. And, and ultimately, we have a right to defend ourselves. That doesn't mean that I want to see a violent revolution. But to say that it's not even a consideration? Like, that's crazy. Like, of course, it has to be a consideration at some point. The whole reason that the government doesn't just do whatever they want to us is because they know that that threat exists. Everybody knows that. That's the whole value of the Second Amendment is that we can't be ruled over without them also paying a price. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. You know, like I, I know that it can can get me on some fucking watch list and they can treat me like I'm a terrorist just for bringing it up. But it's the truth. That's the whole reason that we have all these guns is because we don't trust you motherfuckers and we're concerned. We're concerned <laughs> about you, okay? So that's, that's my vantage point on it. And anybody that's in the libertarian space that disagrees with that, I don't think grasps how you maintain right. liberty period like you are you are so docile you're worthless to me and yep. that's my view so well but there <laughs> are there are people like that in our who claim to be in our movement they but we need to understand they are enemies of liberty in my opinion it is quite literally that black and white 
Uh, whenever you have people at the Cato Institute or some of them at Reason, for example, and they're 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 condemning uh, they're they're condemning. Let's say, for example, uh, Thomas Massey's Christmas card. It's very interesting. So just a few hours at sorry, a few hours before uh, Lauren Doherty sent out that memo to all the Yale staff condemning Yale's sorry condemning Thomas Massey's Christmas card because some people find guns very scary. Just a few hours before that, it was a writer at Cato who put up a tweet talking about how, you know, we have to keep in mind that, that guns are killing machines uh, and that, uh, you know, people who aren't familiar with gun culture are going to be turned off by this. And I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing more that the state would love than to see us afraid to champion our right to self-defense, to seeing us being timid about you know, gun ownership, or not even just that, but the ability, just, you know, the, the ability in practice and in theory to protect ourselves from tyranny. Because whenever we are afraid to to champion that, to showcase that, to be proud of that, that that's exactly what they need to start undermining it bit by bit, taking it away legislatively, uh, making it an unpopular notion. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are people within our own camp more and more of them, it seems, whose opinions I really don't give a damn about. Um, if 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 they if they think that guns are scary or whatever, you know, go join the left. You know, get out of the liberty movement. Like we don't want you, we don't need you. You're a, you're a headache. You're an inconvenience. You're getting in the way of everything that we could be doing, and you need to find another movement to go join. Um, to me, this idea that there are left libertarians and right libertarians is a fallacy. I'm not saying that because of any stupid idea that there's no such thing as right or left. Yes, there is a right and there is a left to say otherwise is completely and totally inaccurate. But the more that I have had to deal with the left libertarians, whether it's just them complaining about content that, that I've created for Twitter, or it's quite literally them getting into positions as CEO of a company that I've spent four years at and then working little by little to get me fired. And in whatever capacity I've had to deal firsthand with left libertarians, it seems to me that uh, they don't have a foundation for libertarianism at all. And I think that it would do us so much good if there was a, a wall of linguistic separation. That'd be such a tremendous start. A wall of linguistic separation between the right libertarians and what's called the left libertarians so that we don't have to try and share a tent with these people anymore. Um, I think that would that would do us so so much good if we can actually get focused. Um, we can get focused on fighting tyrants, on fighting lockdowns, on fighting all these other oppressive, horrible forms of tyranny instead of having to fight the idiots who are infiltrating our own camp. That then that was a really upsetting thing for me at Young Americans for Liberty was a slow realization over my last year that I was no longer fighting. I felt like I was no longer fighting tyrants outside the order outside the org every day. I was fighting tyrants inside the org every day. Yeah. I was, instead of actually making what felt like a profound difference in the public conversation or in converting mass numbers of people to liberty, like liberty-pilling mass numbers of people, instead of feeling like I was doing that, I felt like I was having to fight stupid creative objections uh, from, from just absolute morally and intellectually inferior people who had through whatever reason, infiltrated what was once a great organization. So as we have to understand that the kind of people you're talking about, they're, they're far too numerous in our movement. We don't need them. We, I, we don't want them. 
I cannot look forward enough to the Mises caucus takeover of the Libertarian Party. But I will say that what's happened to Yao offers yet another cautionary tale in the sense that the more of those, the more of the, these LNC types that get displaced from the LP, they're going to find homes in other places. And I'm afraid that those displaced uh, LNC types, uh, LNC establishment types, pragmatic caucus, whatever you want to call them, they're going to find home. They're going to find a home in Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, when it's all over, and that's going to be a dangerous thing. So we have to make sure that the work of the Mises Caucus isn't done with just kicking them out of the Libertarian Party. In my opinion, these people have to be made politically homeless altogether. Yeah. Um, they, they have to be completely and totally isolated uh, politically and made powerless, stripped of any ounce of, of influence and power that they have. But I have to make another point explicitly clear. At the end of the day, my ultimate enemy is not the Lauren Doherty's of the world or the Nick Sarwark's of the world or the Joe Bishop Henchman's of the world. Uh, my enemy is, is the state media complex. It's, a, it, it's the woke war machine. It's, it's the military industrial complex. It's, it's Washington, D.C. Uh, it's, the tyrants, it's the tyrants. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the tyrants who inflate our currency, destroy our culture, uh, lock us in our homes for months at a time. Uh, force us to get vaccinated, take our jobs, uh, take our jobs away if we don't send our sons, our daughters, our fathers, our mothers, everybody, you know, to war, uh, to, to die in senseless, stupid wars overseas. Um, those are those are the people who I'm trying to destroy and, and make no mistake. I, I'm not I don't want to share. I don't want to share anything with those people. I want to destroy these people because they destroy they destroy so much else in this world. Yep. Um, they do, you know, they, they, all they do is inflict misery on millions of people. That is quite literally what their existence entails. So we, you know, we don't need to get, uh, obviously taking over, like, let's say, you know, the Libertarian party, that could be a, a powerful enough gesture. Sure. Uh, but we don't need to lose sight of the fact that, that our enemy is very much outside, uh, of oh, yeah. the Liberty movement, e even the fringes of the Liberty movement. Um, absolutely. And what I would what I would love to see happen, uh, and, and this is this is a this is probably a pipe dream, but hypothetically, if the right libertarians and the left libertarians could could unite against like the neocons, oh, that would be wonderful. Like I would be okay with that, right? But that's just never going to happen. You know, the, the left libertarians are entirely too uh, too distracted uh, from other. They're too busy writing about uh, how how how. Um, how price locks, you know, create shortages or about sex work. They're, they're too, they're too busy, you know, writing their silly papers for their think tanks. So um, even at best, they're a completely useless ally. And at worst, at worst, they're, they're a menace from within. Right. Now you're <laughs> well said, man. I, I think that uh, that's, that's been my, my experience as well is that uh, ultimately they're, they're chasing ghosts, you know, like they've, They've created this this fictional view of what quote unquote right libertarians are and what they believe in. It's like we're not racist. We just don't obsess over race. Like right. it, it's still race is still anathema to to liberty. It's still collectivism. It's, Ron Paul was very adamantly opposed to it, but we just don't obsess over it because it's about liberty for all. Like that's the whole key here. So if you start to take it into some sort of uh, you know, racialized 
uh, ideology and you obsess over that, that's not that's not in line with how we view the world. And and I I'm not interested in fighting these people. I want them out of my yep. way so that I can fight the people that are actually ruining our lives. Like that's yep. that's the whole key here. And and I think that that's the vision of the Mises Caucus within the LP is to do that to make it a vehicle to be able to focus on what matters. That being said, it is not nearly enough. And I would be lying if I were to tell people, oh, the Mises Caucus takes over the LP and we're going to fix everything from there on out. Like it's it's good to go. No, 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 no. We have so much more work to do. And, and it's so daunting. I try not to even think about it sometimes because it's like we have... We have every layer of the apparatus that rules over us, as you described it, the media, the military industrial complex, the government itself, the Federal Reserve, all of it. Just it's all against us. Institutionally, we have basically no power and it's all adamantly opposed to everything we believe in. So we have a lot of work to do and it is just the beginning. Uh, I think that people like Reed are are doing that work and they are you know the the courageous truth telling that you were willing to do with Yao, especially for an organization you loved and i did as well um i it says just everything about your character man so i really appreciate your efforts your energy and i hope that that you do not give up we need we need people like you man thanks well we can't give up and that that's one bit of encouragement that i would give your audiences do not take this downfall of young americans for liberty to be any sort of defeat. Uh, that is not what is happening. The fight for liberty is an eternal fight. We cannot give up. We cannot give in. Um, we have to carry the torch of liberty to new horizons. We have to carry it to new institutions. We have to build new homes for it. Uh, and we have got to make sure that this is that this is uh, that this is this is allowed to live on. It is a matter of life and death. You know that 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 is quite literally what the stakes are uh, if, if the liberty movement loses. Um, yeah. I don't know that, that we think about that quite enough. Like no, if, we if we lose, right, what's going to be in store for us? I do often liken it to a sort of Soviet-style existence right here on the North American continent. It'll be, it'll be your neighbors. It'll be your home states. It'll be your own community, your own neighborhood that is subjected to a very bleak uh, and disastrous uh, extension uh, of, of, of all the horrors that happened throughout the 20th century and ultimately defined that central that century, uh, unfortunately. So the fight for liberty is an eternal one, but it is also a matter of life and death. So we we cannot take the we cannot take the, the you know the takeover of young Americans for liberty as though it is some sort of defeat uh, because it's not. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Uh, the state is going to do a lot worse things to some of us than an organization like Young Americans for Liberty ever could uh, if we live our lives the right way. So uh, we, we can't give in and we absolutely cannot be fearful. Uh, the fight 100% has to keep up and I believe it will. Yeah, me too. And uh, I think it will because of people like you, man. I, I think that that's, that's what keeps this flame flame as eternal as it has been is that like, we will not, as long as you and I are on this planet, this shit is not going out. Like, that's how I feel about it. And I know a lot of people that are listening right now feel the same way. So thank you so much for your efforts and your energy. Keep going, man. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Uh, the best place to find me is just on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at J Reed Cooley, J-R-E-E-D-C-O-O-L-E-Y. -E 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 Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, keep, the, keep that flame going, all right? We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin'. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic A rip for 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows this Don't get treated like a hoe